Hey, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show, episode number 11. My name is Kieran, and this week I talk about how actions equal impact. We have our regular tech timeout, and of course, some news from the world of metal detecting and treasure hunting. So let's get on with the show. Hey, as always, thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I'm really looking to improve and can only do that with your feedback. If you want to give me feedback or interact with the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at Detecting The or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. Or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. If you like what I'm doing, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. That'll really help validate the podcast. Hey, I hope you're doing all right this week. I look at the media and it looks like the world is burning, but hopefully metal detecting can be something to take your mind off the turmoil or troubles you may be going through right now. The podcast has hit a high of number 53 on the Irish hobby charts, which is great news. So thank you again. I really appreciate the time you're giving to listening to this podcast. This week, I got out detecting to a local beach. I only ever referred to as my cursed beach. I would think we all have a site like this, a place that we continue to search time and time again, only to have it deliver you nothing but pain and frustration. This beach ticks all of the boxes in site selection. It's a popular beach for sunbathing during the summer and surfing all year round. It's a popular site for beach parties, so can be a bit trashy, but nothing a six inch coil can't rectify. And it's probably the closest beach to my home. So for me, it hits the trifecta, but I have searched this beach several times a year, only to have it give up a few pre-Euro coins and nothing of amazement. And I'm afraid this time was no different. I got out nice and early before the crowds assembled and hit a cut in the beach that looked promising, but nothing, nada zilch. Two hours later, all I had was a 24-year-old decimal 20p and a large fist of aluminium. Every time I walk off this beach, I tell myself, I'm chalking up a bad day today for a good day later and think of myself as a fisherman who comes home with an empty net but a clear head free of stress despite the frustration. I know for a fact that you have been in this situation and I'd love if you let me know why we do it to ourselves. So I'm afraid not much adventure in my adventures in metal detecting this week. After reading an article in The Guardian this week about the negative aspects of metal detecting, what I want to discuss this week is how actions equal impact. And what I mean here is how what we do day to day as a detectors can impact the hobby as a whole. Now this may be a bit preachy and I acknowledge that, but I have to say after my run in with the archaeologists recently and this recent article about Nighthawks, I think maybe it's time to talk about what we are doing and how it can affect the hobby. Firstly, I want to give an example very dear to the hearts of any Irish metal detectorists, and that is the case of the Derry Niflan Horde, found in 1980. I'm going to quote the Wikipedia article on it as it sums it up very well. So here goes. The Derry Niflan Horde was discovered on the 17th of February 1980 by Michael Webb from Clonmel and his son, also called Michael, while they were exploring the ancient monastic site of Derry Niflan with a metal detector. They had the implied permission of the landowners of the land on which the ruins stood to visit the site, but they had no permission to dig on the lands. A preservation order had been made in respect of the room under the National Monument Acts of 1930, so that it was an offence to injure or to interfere with the site. The discovery was initially kept secret for three weeks. The behaviour of the webs and nearly seven years of litigation culminating in the Supreme Court action where they unsuccessfully sought over £5 million for the find led to the replacement of the Irish laws of treasure trove by the law in the National Monuments Act of 1994, with a new Section 2 being included in the legislation, essentially making it very difficult for anybody to metal detect in Ireland. 
I'm going to let that sink in for one second. This one act of greed, in my view, has changed the shape of metal detecting in Ireland forever. Prior to this, Ireland had a working system very similar to the UK and had this father and son team who knew they were breaking the law by the simple fact of not reporting the fine for three weeks still had the neck to go all the way to the High Court and request £5 million reward. This one act has had a detrimental effect on metal detecting in Ireland today, reducing the hobby from several thousand practitioners to now only a few hundred hardcore guys doing their best to operate within the law. So what can we do or do we do that positively raises the profile of the hobby? Reporting fines in a timely manner for example. Even if you believe the find to be insignificant, one of the highest risks to the UK treasure trove system right now is the number of fines not being reported to the portable antiquity scheme. So let Ireland be an example to us all and report in a timely manner. Make sure to stay away from restricted areas, it's pretty self-explanatory and don't night talk, there are easier ways to make a few dollars. But this is not about what we shouldn't do. We do plenty of things that normal people wouldn't even consider doing in the pursuit of our hobby. For example, I've seen people helping farmers in cutting grass just to ensure they could swing their coil better, but with the added positive impact on helping someone else. Something I try to do myself as I detect is to take all the rubbish I find off the beach. Now I'm not talking about going around the beach picking up all the rubbish, but a conscientious metal detectorist will always leave a beach with more rubbish in their bag than they came with and I try to fill a bag every time. Ring recovery. I love watching these videos on YouTube of metal detectorists returning a wedding band to a husband who you know has just spent the last few weeks reassuring his wife that he did in fact lose his ring on the beach. But now, it's not just about returning rings if you can, but people are now losing phones and smartwatches, which would put a significant amount of money in your pocket if you found one and sold it on, but a conscientious treasure hunter will always try to return. I remember I found a wedding band at a beach during a club hunt once, and one of the first things most people said to me was, you better try to return the ring or else you won't find another one for seven years. I still have the ring because we couldn't find the owner, but it's still there in case the owner shows up, just in case. It's simple karma. If you find something of significant intrinsic value, try to locate the owner. If it's of archaeological importance, report to the authorities. If you can go to the site and leave it in better condition, then do so because these little positive actions will have a huge knock-on effect to the overall impression that the public have in relation to metal detecting, treasure hunting or magnet fishing. I love this hobby and I just want to say to all the Nighthawkers out there, screw you, you selfish a-holes. And to everyone who lives by something similar to my simple karma, well done and keep up the fight to raise the global profile of the metal detectorists. Up next is this week's Tech Timeout, where I chat about coils. Time for Tech Timeout! I'm really committing to this now. So this week, I want to talk about coils and specifically the benefits of each shape or configuration and size of coil. So let's start with configuration. Even though there are many configurations of coils, such as mono, imaging and two box, the two most popular and the two I will only discuss today are the double D and concentric coil configurations. So there are advantages in both type of coil configurations. With the double D coil, this coil is superior in mineralized soil, while the concentric coil is superior over the double D coil in depth and target ID. If you were to dismantle each coil, you would find two coil windings, one for transmission and one to receive. However, in concentric coils, 
The transmission coil is normally the larger outside coil, while the inside smaller coil is the receiver coil. With the double D coil, both coils are normally the same size, but are positioned with the transmission coil on top, forming a small overlap with the receiver coil in the shape of a Venn diagram. What this difference in coil configuration means is that with the concentric coil, the full area of the coil has the ability to detect a find, while on the double D coil, the detection zone is only the area where both coils cross over as the outer areas form negative field interference. Several anecdotes are used to describe the detection field under each coil, with the concentric field described like a cone under the coil, while the double D coil has a knife edge detection field. These anecdotes are not technically correct, but serve to best illustrate the difference in detection fields. It is because of these differences in detection fields that say for example the concentric coil is better at target ID, as it has a wider detection field which can gather more information, while the double D coil has a narrow detection field allowing better recovery and maneuverability between finds. Normally, if your detector comes with a concentric coil, it is set up to best operate with a concentric coil. Attaching a double D coil might not have the desired effect, and this also goes for detectors set up with a double D coil. They won't work well with a concentric coil. Some brands have invested heavily in specific coil configurations. For example, MineLab have doubled down on the double D coil. See what I did there? Just like configuration, most coils come in different sizes, with the most common being 6-inch, 11-inch, which is normally the default coil, and the 17-inch coil. The golden rule when picking a coil size is the more trash, the smaller the coil. This is because there is more chance of several finds under a larger coil at the same time, resulting in the greater opportunity for target masking to occur, resulting in the potential for you to miss out more targets while you cover more ground. A 6-inch coil in a trashy site will result in more good digs while less ground is covered. Maybe I need to go to my cursed beach with the 6-inch coil. Every day is a school day. Although most coils are proprietary to the detector manufacturer, there are some firms out there making aftermarket coils for established detectors, but generally they only differ in size and adopt whatever configuration is preferred by the detector. Finally, all coils are normally waterproof and have coil covers which needs to be monitored for wear and tear because the prospect of changing a coil out can prove to be an expensive exercise in both time not hunting and money spent as some replacement coils run into hundreds of dollars. Other things to consider when inspecting your coil for wear and tear. Check and make sure the cable where it connects to the coil is not damaged and this goes for the connection side also. Make sure to check connection o-rings and gold contacts for damage on both the control box and the coil cable. One final tip when inspecting your coil for wear and tear, occasionally remove the coil cover as you will be amazed the level of dirt that can get under there. Some people even go to lengths to seal the coil cover to the coil with silicone, but for me that's overkill. What coil configuration do you prefer? Let me know via any of the show's social media channels. Up next is the news from the world of metal detecting. Okay, time for this week's news. Up first, I have to mention the Guardian story that sparked off my initial discussion this week. The headline reads, There's a romanticism about nighthawking, but it's theft when metal detectorists go rogue. It's a pretty damning review of the world of metal detecting, but got some things wrong, such as the barrier to entry with metal detecting being as low as £40. I don't know about you, but I don't think you would find much beyond a few surface iron targets with a £40 detector. Check out the link in the show notes. And another magnifying bomb story with another weird river name. 
The headline reads, Peterborough Magnet Fishing Warning After Unexploded Second World War Bomb Pulled from the River. I don't know if it's Nini, Neen, or Nene. We'll go with Neen. My magnet fishing friends, please be careful. The more I look at magnet fishing, the more it's starting to look like Russian roulette. Anyways, links to this story and all this week's stories are in the show notes. I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show podcast. Tell your friends, even one friend will make a difference. Tell me about your friends and I'll give them a shout out. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do as it gives the podcast legitimacy. Leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at Detecting The or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast. If you want to contribute or have suggestions for topics to cover, pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.TheMetalDetectingShow.com, for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. Once again, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting.